Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 14, Valentine's Day. So, no surprise, it says, live more in the heart. Send rays of love out to all the world, knowing that everyone aspires, each in his own way, to the highest possible attainment, perfect bliss. Bliss in union with God must come eventually to everyone. It's very interesting because I have heard Swamiji speak of this many times, and it's like many things on the spiritual path. You learn the same thing over and over again. I have a, a, a friend, she lived, uh, uh, she and her husband, who were both, they were both principal dancers with the San Francisco Ballet. So they were very high level, beautiful dancers. Um, they, they moved into our community after their dancing careers were over and they were going into the teaching phase of being a, a ballet person. You know, the, the career of a dancer is very short and often they skip college. Sometimes they hardly go to high school because the career of time is in your youth and every, there's time for everything else afterwards. But these uh, one of the women had been dancing since she was three and she went to ballet high school and just never really did anything else. Uh, and, and it showed she was wonderful. Um, and I, I, know, I know a tiny bit about ballet. I mean, nothing compared to her life at all. But of course, they, one of the principles of ballet is that they just continually take the beginner's classes over and over again. Ballet is a, a designated series of steps and positions the, the, the choreography, in, in its most classical sense, is simply these classic steps are, are assembled and reassembled and disassembled and reassembled. And so you always are renewing the basics because that is the substance of what you're able to do. You just do it faster and more creatively and more interestingly. So taking class, taking beginner class even, was just part of her was so much a part of her mindset, she didn't even know it was part of her mindset. It was just the way she lived and breathed. Well, of course, on the spiritual path, everything that I know now, or a great deal of what I can say now, I heard it 50 years ago, at the very beginning. What you are today is what you, the result of what you did yesterday. What you are tomorrow is what you're doing today. Just the law of karma, just as simple as it can be. But the more the deeper one's consciousness becomes, the more actual experience one has, all of these words take a very different form. Earlier in this, uh, in this month, I was talking about when I very first uh, came onto the spiritual path. It was actually uh, less than a year before I actually saw my first book about self-realization. I had an LSD experience in which I realized that if I changed my consciousness, everything changed. Well, really, here I am, all these years, 1965 that was, here I am, and <laughs> just this morning I was saying, just yesterday I was saying to friends, you know, it's just all about my consciousness. If I can just change my consciousness, everything will be different. Like, 
all this time has passed. But when I say those words now, they have a very different meaning to me than when I said them the first time I said them. And this concept that Swami says that we should love everyone because everyone has the same inner intention. Everyone in the world is seeking bliss. And it, it, it's very interesting because heard, I heard him say it for a very long time because he said it for a very long time because it was true. But relatively recently, I've begun to understand what it means and I've sort of come to understand what it means from a, a different angle. You know, whenever you, you actually feel what, it, what another person intends, you know, sort of how they think that their life is going, what, what they're trying to accomplish with what they're doing, one always feels this, um, at least I, I do, you feel this great sympathy when you finally understand it. I remember there was this homeless man who uh, was, whose domicile, whatever that domicile was, was um, relatively close to where our temple was. And he, and it was before we had a temple, it was when we were in a suite of offices. And he came upstairs and he was, he was not suitable to be in the building. He was just disruptive and it wasn't a good idea. And I was trying to persuade him to leave. And he had a notebook with him, and he was mentally, completely mentally unbalanced. And he would, told me he would leave, but he had some important work to do, and he just had to finish the work he had to do. And I was talking to Swamiji just about the incident later. And with so much compassion, Swami said, well, he probably you know, used to do work, because he, he seemed like a, a man who'd, who'd, had, who'd seen better times. Swami said he probably used to do real work, and he still remembers that he used to do real work. So he has this feeling about this work. And Swami hadn't even been there. But as soon as Swami said that, and I still, I still remember that man and I still pray for him, I could just feel what it was to be him. And as soon as I could feel what it was to be him, just automatically this, this desire to help him. I mean, one of the ways of helping him was to say, this is not your place and you need to go somewhere else. It didn't help him just to let him indulge his disconnect with reality in that setting. So Swami has often said for a long time that, you know, if, if we can just understand that everybody in the world is seeking bliss, they're just seeking it by whatever route looks like it's going to work for them, then automatically we would have compassion and sympathy for them. And even more than that, we would see ourselves reflected. And when uh, so much of, of loving and understanding other people has to do with how much we love and understand ourselves. If, if we're trying to expunge from the world certain qualities because we're trying to expunge them in ourselves, it very much distorts both our sympathy and our perception of other people because they're a threat to our well-being. But if we can relax into the reality of our own nature that says, you know, this is all I'm, all I'm ever trying to do is to avoid suffering and to find happiness. When Master came to America in 1920, he had with him a small book that he'd had one of his disciples write for him in English, or perhaps he published it right after he got here, but it was called The Science of Religion. Swami Kriyananda rewrote that book and called it God is for Everyone. It's the same ideas. Um, one was written by a different disciple, and this one was written by Kriyananda. 
master's ideas, the science of religion is very simple. Everyone is seeking to avoid suffering. Everyone is seeking to find happiness. And when we really realize that, in fact, every sentient creature is trying to avoid suffering and to find that which they call it, call pleasurable. No matter how tiny and limited their, their consciousness might be, I mean, like a snail's capacity for, for bliss is very limited because his nervous system is so small, but, but he will shrink away from that which appears to hurt him and he will go toward that which will feed him. It's, it's just on the most primitive level, that's what we're doing. And so when we see someone, no matter how crazy and misguided they may be, when we can feel inside him, well, that's just his way or her way of thinking that she's going to avoid suffering. I remember um, being driving just from here to our temple here, meaning the community where I live, which is where this is being filmed, to our temple, which is about two miles down the main road. And I was in the car, and I was stopped at a stoplight, and there was a crosswalk, and there was a, a pedestrian walking across. And the pedestrian was a woman probably in her late 60s, maybe as old as 70. And she wasn't um, overweight, uh, so, but everything else about her body had clearly aged. But she was dressed in, in clothing and had done both her hair and her makeup um, as if she were still 20. And it was just watching her, and you could see that she wasn't 20. She was like three times 20 or four times, not quite four times, but three times 20. And I just, I just watched her walk across, and I thought, I wonder what she thinks, I wonder what she thinks she's doing. I wonder how it feels to be her, that she would still think that this was the appropriate way to put herself forward to the world, and that somehow the world would respond well to her if she just presented herself as if she was just about to leave for college. And she, it, it was just, um, what an odd choice, from my perspective, what an odd choice. But not to her. To her it obviously made perfect sense. It was suffering for her would have been to, quote, give in to age and happiness for her was to, you know, assert until the last moment, because everyone is looking for bliss. And, and also on the deepest level to realize everybody will find bliss. And the only way they're ever going to sort through what you might call um, masquerading, you know, a pretend bliss, and actually get to true divine bliss is by just the experiment that she's doing. You know, she's just, how many lifetimes has she just absolutely refused age, just as a small sidelight being a female human myself? I, I was very amazed, and now I'm past 70, and it's sort of like, but when you cross over, it's the 60s that are really, for most women, many women, the crossover point. It's like, there's a point there where, oh my gosh, look at this, I really am getting old, and there's just no, now the word is... Um, youthful. <laughs> you don't look young, but you look youthful, which is a euphemism for you're every bit 60 or 70 or 80 or whatever it is. But the fact I thought to myself, even as I looked at this woman, that even I, who am deeply steeped in the yogic teachings of reincarnation and transcendence of the body, and who actually, 
I have I have many faults, but I but I've never been vain about my looks. It's just not. It, 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 <laughs> it was too transparently foolish, so I just never I never got it. But it mattered to me that I was getting old. And so looking at that woman, I thought, wow, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But this is how we find God. This really is literally how we find God. That we test out alternate theories of reality and of happiness. Swamiji also had a wonderful, wonderful way of looking at it. He said whenever he would see someone who was really suffering, and uh, God knows there's a lot of tragedy on this planet, it's not... It's not an easy place to live, and it's it's not a it's not an obvious happy ending in the short term. Just a lot of very painful things, even deeply tragic things, are happening all the time. And you know, I know various stories where the what people are going through is just so hard. And Swami would see that, and he would feel it. He was more tender-hearted than anyone I knew. He would really he would feel their experience. But he would say, oh, this is when they, you know, because of this suffering, how much sweeter it will be when they finally find God. Because all of this, you know, the intensity of this sorrow will finally be relieved in that bliss. And the bliss will be all the sweeter because of the intensity of this sorrow. The other thought form that I found to be very comforting is this is the kind of suffering that causes people to search for God. Because only when we're deeply disappointed in this world will we, will we begin to turn our attention toward transcending the things of this world. So that, that's, that's helped me get through when I see people who, like that man in the office. Well, let me just finish my work. You know, he was so gone from anything that was going to take him where he wanted to be. But <clears throat> that's the kind of suffering that will bring him to God because he's he's testing out alternate ways of being and to disconnect from from objective reality altogether. It's a choice, and it's a choice that um, people make. People make it. They they don't have to become as extreme and as blatant as he was. People make it all the time. They just refuse to acknowledge what's going on around them. They just check out from objective reality and pretend that something else is true. The denial is the phrase that people use. It's just like it's not really happening. Or they just watch television, eat ice cream, drink wine, just check out. It's in, or, or, go, or they go completely mentally unbalanced, but it's all just the same spectrum. But this is the kind of suffering that brings people to God because everyone is seeking bliss. And there, we're all holding hands together. We're all just, as that wonderful phrase is, walking each other home. And then uh, instead of judgment or fear, we just feel love and compassion for each other. So Swami says, live more in the heart. Send rays of love out to all the world, knowing that everyone aspires, each in his own way, to the highest possible attainment, perfect bliss. Bliss in union with God must come eventually to everyone. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.